You are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach. And although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. And I, today I am just brimming with excitement to have Kayla Erig with us because she is launching her book, How to Be a Digital Nomad, tomorrow. And so it wasn't really, pl- really planned. We got on to do the podcast and I found out she was launching her book. I'm like, oh no, we're going to help you launch your book. Now, we're also going to talk a little bit about LinkedIn today because that's actually the topic of today's podcast. But towards the end, we'll talk about her book, the the process, how you can get it. And uh, let's just really support Kayla as a new author in her with her first book and just really helping her to have a fantastic book launch. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's so nice to be here. So Kayla bought a one-way ticket out of the United States, because usually we hear about people buying tickets in. She bought one out in 2017 and has spent most of her time abroad ever since. She was pushed by the feeling that life was passing her by at her nine to five job. So she found work online and fumbled her way through an attempt at executing the exact lifestyle she wanted. But as a writer for publications like HubSpot and GoDaddy, those are big names. She built an online business that now supports both her and her husband as they drift around her drift around the world. Kayla, let's let's get into today's topic. So we want to talk a little bit why LinkedIn is an underused platform and what we can do about it. So I, w- I would love to for you to share just first of all, why is LinkedIn under I don't know why people are not giving LinkedIn more love. Everyone, it seems like everyone with a brand or a, a blog or any aspiring content creator, they can tell you about how much they've poured into Instagram. I recently talked to a woman. She said, I've been posting on Instagram every day for five years and I'm still not getting results. And I thought, oh my gosh, LinkedIn, imagine that investment on LinkedIn five years every day. You would have such a big platform. I think people think it's maybe a little intimidating because it feels like all your old colleagues are watching you or it's like a resume and you're not supposed to do anything fun. (laughs) I'm not sure what the misconception is, but LinkedIn, I always say it's like one of those like ticket machines at an arcade whenever you're a little kid and you like put tokens in and then you get tickets out. That's LinkedIn. What you invest, you will get it. It's magic. I think people think it's the stuffy social media, you know, for just high-end professionals and maybe those looking for a job, but Personally, I love LinkedIn. It is my preferred platform. It's it's actually where the uh, podcast episodes going live that, that and on YouTube. And uh, you know, I I think LinkedIn's a great place, especially as you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Um, you know, it's the place I can go. Oh. <laughs> 
I think a lot of people feel that though. I think it's a very authentic platform and maybe that's counterintuitive because at first it seems like everybody's like putting on their business face, you know, they're putting on their like nine to five personality, but I don't, I think it's the opposite. I think people are really themselves. Well, if you're in heavily into career, heavily into business, LinkedIn might not be your place, but you know, if you are an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a freelancer, you know, a professional, a coacher, and, you know, you're looking for a place where you can be you in professional side, let's say. Um, so it's not like, I mean, I do post the occasional personal thing on LinkedIn. It's not like you can't. It's where it allows the professional side of me to my authentic professional. Yeah. So, you know, Facebook is where you, you know, you post the other stuff, right? <laughs> and Instagram and those places. But, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm proud of an entrepreneur. It's a big part of who I am. And so LinkedIn for me is home because that's where I get to be and shine as, you know, this major part of Yeah, it's really nice to feel that way about a platform. And I feel like you see other people feel that way as well. You see other people genuinely making making really genuine content, really trying to make connections and friends and trying to help each other out. I just think it's the most authentic place on the internet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So Kayla, let's let's talk a little bit about your story. I read a little bit about it in your bio there, but let's go into it a little bit deeper. So share with us some more about your story. Well, I left the corporate world in 2017. what really led me to feeling like I cannot get what I want out of the corporate world was this feeling from my last year of college. Whenever I was a senior in college, seven people in my life. And I entered the working world with this super intense awareness that get hit by a bus. I I cannot waste my time. So I spent a year working at a nonprofit and the mission was so important and the work was so important, but I felt like a lot of people were unhappy because they didn't have enough money. And then I went into the corporate world where people had enough money and some people were genuinely happy, but I didn't feel like it was the norm. And I even asked some colleagues once, uh, if you had to do it all again, would you choose this same career field? And only one person says everyone else said no, they would try something else. And I just thought, statistically speaking, I'm not convinced I can get what I want out of this this road I'm on. So I went freelance as a writer and I became a digital nomad and started traveling. I got rid of my apartment and I'm living like that now as well. I did have an apartment for a while in the Netherlands. So I've been abroad for six years. I visit the US, I go home and visit, but I haven't lived there since. And now my husband and I, yeah, we have no events. Um, we only have two backpacks each and that's all of our stuff. And um, I'm, I couldn't find anyone who regretted traveling. I kept asking everybody if you, okay, you went traveling. Did you regret it? What were the downsides? And everyone kept saying, no one regrets traveling. Mm-hmm. And I, and I also think that entrepreneurs say it as well. Entrepreneurs who succeed at running their businesses. No one tells you that it was, everyone tells you it was worth it. So I, to me, it felt like the safe bet of, yeah, looking back without regrets on how I was spending my, my time. Well, and the thing is, too, is that it was a little bit easier for you. Not that you can't do it with kids, but it definitely has oh, yeah. a lot of complications easier. when you have kids. When it's just just two of you, 
uh, definitely makes it a little bit easier to to live that note. But you know, the way I look at it too is is that it's it's not just about being able to travel. You know, like you can be in your own home and still be a digital. Yeah, right? yeah. If you're working online, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. So, how did you end up writing for HubSpot and Go? I got those through networking. So I was publishing my own writing already on my website, writingfromnowhere.com. I started that as kind of, I wanted a blog. I saw a lot of people making money from blogging and I thought that's a thing. Um, I didn't set out with this like attitude that I was going to retire on my blog and that would be my big money maker. But I thought, you know what? I will not, I don't know what's there and I want to find out. So I started writing for myself and I learned SEO and I learned how to write you know, digital content people wanted to read. I came from the print world. Well, I wasn't there very long, but I did write for a newspaper. That was my first writing gig in like a daily newspaper. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time there, but I thought, oh, I don't know how to write for the digital space. So I think I want to learn. And, uh, I spent years improving my writing, like a good two years writing for myself before anyone paid me to write them. So I think that's an important note. It's not like I just woke up one day and decided to like, you know, write for some of these huge public. I, I had to kind of go through my own little thing, uh, period there. And I met people who liked my writing and they said, oh, well, hey, actually, you know, I, I know that the editor here is looking for a new writer. Do you want me to introduce you? And uh, I already had a portfolio that spoke to my abilities. And that's the thing that made these new opportunities available to me. Let's unpack that a little because you, you shared a few things there, which I think are critical in terms of, well, especially freelancing, but even just, uh, you know, building a business. You didn't start writing and just started writing for HubSpot and GoDaddy. You, you practiced. You practiced your skill. You refined your skill. You, you learned new things that you needed to know to make that skill. Yeah, you nailed it gonna I think if you think about doing something for the first time and I meet people who have never published work online they've never never published writing on the internet and they tell me that they also they send me messages sometimes that say I really want to write for HubSpot can you introduce me to your editor I I think it's good to think about trying to sell your first attempt at anything like would you someone offer if someone offered you money to make them a wedding cake would you say all right sure why not and then make your first wedding cake ever and try to sell uh, I think it's good to have that kind of 10,000 hours mindset that you need to do something for 10,000 hours before you're professional. And that number has been like thoroughly debunked. 10,000 hours specifically doesn't mean anything, but it's the mindset that practice is important and it's necessary and you're getting better every time that you do. And, and the thing is, is that I, I truly agree with you. You can still be making money while you do this, yes, it's just, yeah. you're not going to instantly go from never writing anything to writing for big companies or, you know, writing a best-selling book or, um, you know, writing social media content that's viral. Like, you know, that, that kind of stuff comes with time and sometimes networking. And like, there's more than just the writing. You have to build a network. You got those jobs because you knew the right people. And when the time was right and you had proven yourself and the opportunity came, it wasn't luck that you you had preparation. Yeah. It, none of these introductions either came quickly. Like the person 
introduced me to go, the GoDaddy editor. I knew her for, I think, three years. It's not like I sought these people out because I wanted them to open doors for me. Um, we were just genuine. We became genuine friends. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing right on LinkedIn. They want to hop on. It's called a coffee chat on LinkedIn where you hop on Zoom for 30 minutes and you just get to know somebody. There's no sales pitches and it doesn't even have to be about business. It can just be about getting to know each other. But you are making actual, forming actual relationships. And that's what networking is. I interviewed, I just recently wrote an article for HubSpot on this, on networking. And one of the sources, his name was Adam Connor. He said, called it your friendship 401k and how valuable that like bank of, you know, it, it is. And I just love thinking about it that way. I think it's so healthy. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think you know, that's one of the things you can do about like. It, it, it is a platform people want to get to know each other. They want to make those professional connections. They want to build that network of people. And, you know, they're, they're, don't get me wrong, there's always the scammers and the, the whatever, but there is a true authentic group of people on LinkedIn who are looking to professionally network, create those relationships, create, you know, a network of people that they know, like, and trust. Um, you know, where business is referred back and forth to each other, opportunities are given to each other. And and that that takes time and effort. It really does. Yeah, it's not something that is going to come right away. And I, it's uh, wise to see it as such, to kind of go into like a short-term mindset. Like in January, every year, everyone, up, January 1st, everybody opens up LinkedIn and makes a post about how they're going to post every day on LinkedIn for a year and build their network. And most people quit by March. They peter. Most people make it through January. No, I was being generous. I was also thinking that most people don't make it through January, but I wanted to give people a little bit more, uh, more uh, hope. Uh, here's the thing. I don't, you know, I don't think you have to post every day on LinkedIn. I think you know, if you're if you're posting like one article a week, you know, a couple of posts, you know, maybe a live video, that's about all the content you need on LinkedIn. Like you don't need to be and you know, your your video could be about the article. So it's not like it has to be two different topics. You could, you know, kind of write the the blog and then talk about the same topic, you know, it's just giving it in different formats. And or, you know, you do the reverse. Uh you you do the video, you transcribe it, you work on it so it's actually a good written piece of content, and then you put it out later in the week as an article. Yeah. And then con commenting and spending time, like a whole, like the most important form of content on LinkedIn is commenting and getting to know people mm -hmm. and people getting to know you and treating it like a two-way phone conversation instead of a megaphone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, we are going to take a short break here. Audience, if you want to know how to write a book that converts readers into clients and then use that book to scale your business, you are going to want to listen to this short ad and take advantage of this free resource. Writing and publishing a book that converts readers into client and scales your business is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Get my free checklist at bit.ly forward slash create and scale that will show you what you need to do to have your book become a well-converting lead generating tool. Welcome back, Kayla. We've just been talking about LinkedIn. We've been talking about, you know, what you can do to really make it work 
And, you know, it's things that people don't talk about too much. I mean, they, you know, they, they always talk about, you know, the, uh, Oh, what I call the shiny objects, you know, like you get this thing in and you just plug it in and it does all the work for you. And, you know, you've got thousands of LinkedIn followers. And, you know, first of all, what they don't realize is, is um, LinkedIn will ban you for using them. Mm. They don't ban the companies that create. They just ban you when you use it. So when they that LinkedIn allow technically. Yeah. But what they don't share with you is the fact that in the terms and conditions that if you use it. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we were just talking about is the authentic. Yeah. Being authentic, making it the goal to create relationships, build your network, you know, from the content side, create content that, you know, is meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. And things that other people can can engage. Um, I find that content that people can react to easily does really well because it's an easy conversation to start. And um, like one of my most viral posts or posts that got the most engagement, I asked, you know, what's something that if we met in real life, everyone would, everyone says to you, because you might not hear that ever online. And I've had friends for years who I've had like real friendship online, but they don't know how tall I am, but I'm six feet tall. If we met in real life, you would say, wow, you're so tall. So I said that. Yeah, Oh yeah. Okay. You can write that. Yeah. So, but it's funny how online that you could be friends with someone for years and not know that. And I said, well, what's one thing if we met in real life that, you know, people that I would probably say to you, but I don't know online. And that little thread got so much engagement and I was getting messages and comments for days about how tall people, um, there was quite the diverse. Uh, I, I had no idea. It was, fun it was human conversation and it was really easy to engage with and i think that that's like a real no-brainer on linkedin well i want to shift i want to make sure we've got lots of time here to to talk about your book so it's going to be called how to be a digital nomad so first of all you know why why did you write the book I'm really passionate about the conversation about digital nomadism and not like the new conversation. So since 2020, a lot of people are now aware of the lifestyle. And there's kind of this misconception that digital nomadism was born with the pandemic, like remote work just emerged that day, you know, that year. And I try to give the perspective because I became a digital nomad in 2017 and people thought it was so weird. No one had ever heard of this term before, even though the term was not new. The, it was like not a part of this like social like conversation. And people acted like it was really strange and bizarre. And in my research for the book, I found the digital nomadism goes all the way back to the 80s. And people are really still, that far back? Yeah, the first portable computer. And uh, the first digital nomad is named Stephen Roberts, and he was a technology. He is a technology writer, and he got the Radio Shack Model 100 computer. And he, uh, <laughs> yeah, even Radio Shack is a blast from the past. I feel like if there are any Gen Z listeners, they're going to be like, "What's that? Is that a website? That was a the premier technology <laughs> stop." Oh wait, it was. I it mean, was everything. My dad was into computers in the seventies. Okay. I was the only kid with a computer. The mm. only kid. Most people didn't even know what computers were. And I had one in my house. And uh, Radio Shack, yeah. Trash AD computer, didn't even have floppy drives. Okay. So oh, some no, of you yeah. listening don't even know what floppy drives are. Well, these were the computers before floppy drives 
where you had to manually program in, like you typed in the program, hoped you got it right, because if you typed one thing wrong, the program would not work. And um, my dad would design programs on the side. And so my job was to either type, not that I was a great typist, but I was willing to do it. Or secondly, check my dad's work because half the time his typing was worse than mine. So <laughs> I just went through and fixed fixed his typing so that the code would work. Oh, and uh, yeah, so I had a computer in my house and, and Radio Shack. My husband, when I met my husband, he was working at Radio Shack. Yeah, it was, it was everything. And uh, even into the 90s and early 2000s, I actually don't remember when they went out of business. But it's, I just think it's so fun to look at the movement as a whole, because I think it's important for anyone to acknowledge the history of what they're a part of. Um, anyone, it doesn't change anything about how you act or behave. But I think that it's easy for kind of every generation to feel like they're the first ones to feel this way. And in reality, people have always felt like I just want to quit my job and travel. That it is not a new feeling. And the technology isn't even that new. It's evolved, but it's not new. And so I found digital nomads that had that were there doing living this lifestyle at all the big moments in the technological chain. So Stephen K. Roberts in the 80s with portable computers, Rob Palmer in the 90s with dial-up internet. He was driving an RV with his four kids and his wife and a computer, and he would pull up to people's houses and knock on their door and ask them, have dial-up internet and can I pay you to use it? And if they said yes, then he would string the cord through the window of the house and into his RV and plug it into his computer and do his work. And then from there was internet Wi-Fi cafes in the two early 2000s and then home Wi-Fi and smartphones and then the pandemic. And those were the big milestones in this lifestyle. It's I think it's so much fun to hear the stories of what it was. And everyone who talked about said that so they didn't mind like can you imagine having to use like cable internet people or a wi-fi cafe you had and those still exist in some open like wi-fi isn't legal everywhere you have to go to an internet cafe but oh my it's just so fun i think to look back and i even asked steven you know were you ever annoyed by the technology you know he would send his articles through a payphone with something called an acoustic coupler. It was like suction cups that went on both ends of the payphone. There was, and I asked him, were you ever annoyed with all these steps? Because look at us, like who doesn't get annoyed when the Wi-Fi is a little slow? Like we have no patience for it anymore. And he said, no, that was the fun. You know, it was so cool. And I just think it's a really cool, a really cool moment to look back and see what people are, what people were doing then and what they're doing now. Cause all the people I interviewed are still traveling or doing something non-standard or living in another country. And I think it's just a really cool group of people to, to join. And I think everyone who becomes a digital nomad, it's nice to look back and see we're not new, you know, we're not, this isn't a new thing. There's a cool backstory and you're just the latest. Yeah. This ch chink in the chain of people who thought I'd like to do that. I'd like to travel and it's nice to make some money as I go. <laughs> so you talk in the book a lot about the history. So, but do you have a, like the how to's in the book as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. I cover everything. Um, what type of work are you going to do and where should you go and the technology you need and how do you avoid bull? Um, I assume a lot of people are going to go abroad. You can absolutely be a digital nomad in your home country, but if you're going to go abroad, 
Um, how do you keep yourself healthy? How do you handle health problems whenever they happen? Because if you stay abroad long enough, everything that would have happened to you at home will happen. Like your credit card will get stolen or lost, needing to go to the doctor for something. That's just how life is. And the longer you're abroad, the more likely it is that you're going to have to handle these things. So I talk a lot about preventing problems and managing them and communicating it with your team. Uh, you're not a successful digital nomad if you don't keep your career going. You know, you're going to run out of money or get fired. It happens all the time that people uh, they are surprised by how much work they need to do or they, they don't work enough or their team says, you know what, there are layoffs. And since you're not here anyway, uh, it's going to start with you. People lose their jobs every day at home. So, of course, you might lose your job whenever you're abroad. So how do you insulate yourself from, yeah, these kind of fumbles that are natural to happen? So Kayla, I'm going to ask the question I ask every author that comes out. Okay. What has been the good, the bad, and the ugly of writing, producing, and publishing? Oh my. Okay. Um, the bad was getting endorsement. Um, that was the most grueling email, like number of emails I had to send in my life, having to email people and ask them to read my work and compliment it if they felt, you know, they were willing to do so. That was terrible. And just knowing that it couldn't be edited, I had a lot, a lot of anxiety um, submitting my last round of edits to my publisher and knowing that I can't make changes. That like kept me up at night. Um, I hardly, I did not sleep well for a week. Uh, that because was the this was the final version. This was, was this was done. No more yeah. analysis. Like, and then the next day, I thought, oh, of course, I had the best story to tell for that, you know, lesson and why. Oh, I wish I could go edit it. Is it too late? And on my mind, I'm like, well, just start making edits in the Google Doc, and you that'll be if there's a version two, is it um a second edition? You can make these edits. And I had to tell, like, I just stopped myself. No, that's crazy this book isn't even published it's not even print or you know at the time it wasn't even printed you cannot start on edition two because you're so worried about having you know having been able to do it one percent better actually that was the ugly that was the ugliest part of it. i will say the bad was um the final month of writing i wrote from january till the end of june and that last month in june i hardly did anything was writing heads down for 12 hours a day for the whole month. And uh, I have a vitamin D lamb that I use to help keep me awake. <laughs> and I had it for 12 hours a day. I like couldn't fall asleep because my brain was like so turned on by this. It was, I, I couldn't fall asleep. I was telling my husband, I don't know why, maybe I'm just so worried. And he's like, it's that ball of sun next to your computer. <laughs> You're like burning your eyeballs. I'm like, that is, isn't it? Uh, I was so hyper-focused. Um, that was bad, but it's it was the end. It was the end of a long journey. It just had to, had to happen, running for the finish line. And the good was hearing people read it because I, I've done a lot of writing, but it's always been marketing. I'm, I mean, I'm a marketer. So I've been and I'm marketing for HubSpot and GoDaddy, these publications where I ghostwrite for clients about the things that they really care. But I'd never written about things that I loved that were, you know, outside of my professional realm. So hearing people say that they liked the way I talked about life and travel and career, that was something that was for me. It was, um, 
I took screenshots of every nice thing that everybody said, and I saved them in a folder on my phone, and I read them. <laughs> That's sad. So, let Let's talk about your book launch. It's Tibo. What is What is that going to look like? Uh, you know, most of the works. Um, I've done a lot of writing, a lot of. Um, I'm just hoping it goes well. I have no idea what to expect. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I'm glad that I worked on the launch for so long because I started heavily working on the launch at the beginning of October. Well, um, it was a lot of it's done already. And my publisher provided a lot of support, um, a lot. So I've, I've been incredibly lucky. I think a lot of people don't have positive experiences with their publishers and I have nothing but good things to say about my experience. So I feel really, really lucky. I feel like I really had a team behind this launch and that's pretty I love it. I love to hear that because I hear a lot of stories about the other side of publishers and it's like, oh, come on, you guys, like, do better. Do yeah. better. There will be a bottle yeah. of champagne. I should have said that. Sorry. That's my plan <laughs> for tomorrow. A bottle of champagne that my husband doesn't like. So it'll just be me. <laughs> and I'm traveling. So uh, I'm not having a party. I'm not physically with anyone except my husband. So it's a... Uh, very uh, on brand with the book. <laughs> <laughs> so Kayla, if, if people are listening to this and they want to get the book tomorrow, January 30th, how do they find They can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. It's on the websites there. I don't know where it's going to be on the shelves. Uh, I kind of don't know until it happens. Um, I think Amazon is most people's favorite book, book reader. And look at your local bookstore. I'm sure I know you'll have the link in the comments. It's better to search yeah. for my name. There's an, there are other books called How to Be a Digital Nomad. So it's better to search for my name and then you'll find it if you can buy it from an independent bookstore. That's such a nice way to support. Kayla, spell your name for us. I H R I G, Irig. And my first name is Kayla, spelled the traditional way K A Y L A. For, for all of those who are listening to the yes sorry today. i was thinking about the show notes but if you're listening kayla uh i hope you can find it another uh a local retailer retailer wow kayla we have time for for you to give one final thought before we um i would say uh if travel is not for everyone digital nomadism is not for everyone but if you've always wanted to travel more and think that you want to try this, then you really, really, really should. Because it's so, if it's, if it calls to you, it's just even better than you can imagine. It's such, such a cool way to, to do your work and experience, you know, some of, experience more out of your day, if that's what you are aiming for. Love it. Love it. Audience, if you've enjoyed today's episode, I'm going to get you to be going way, way back eh, to episode 380, Book Publishing Basics, with myself and my previous co-host, Juanita Wooden-Radko. If you're on YouTube, you will find the thumbnail here somewhere, depending on where my daughter put it today. And if you're on your podcast app, you're probably going to be scanning back probably 80, 90 to 100 episodes, because sure what episode number this one is yeah because it's being filmed way um, but scan back because we really dive into book publishing and, and if you have thought about writing a book um, this will give you some great basics to get you started audience thank you so much for listening and we will see you on the very next episode bye now
You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Tim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.